End-to-end encryption has been in the news recently as the government of the UK has been asking its citizens to not support its proliferation to further messaging apps. In this episode, we'll explain what end-to-end encryption is, why there's a battle over it, and what apps support it and what apps don't. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. While we've talked about encryption more generally in a previous episode, today we're going to dive into end-to-end encryption. Yes, I'll put a link to that previous episode, that's episode 17 on encryption, in the show notes, so that you can go and check it out before you listen to this episode. But for those of you that don't go back and do that, let me give you a very brief summary. Encryption is basically a way of scrambling information so that only the intended recipient can read it. The difference between the general concept of encryption and specifically end-to-end encryption is about who is that recipient. Is there an intermediary that's also that recipient and then that information gets relayed on to the ultimate recipient? Or is the information scrambled completely from the originator to its ultimate destination? In end-to-end encryption, the information is scrambled from the person who creates the information or first sends the information all the way to the person who is ultimately meant to read the information or receive the information. In a non-end-to-end encrypted system, there may be an intermediary, usually a server, that receives the information first, might have it decrypted, and then encrypts it again before it goes to the ultimate destination. So in end-to-end encryption, there's no intermediary that can read the information. Only the originator of the information and the ultimate final recipient are the people who can decrypt the information and actually read it. So from one end to the other, hence the name end-to-end. Right. And we should be clear that most systems on the internet are not fully end-to-end encrypted. Most systems do have an intermediary, usually that's the server of some large internet company, that is receiving the information, decrypting it, maybe even storing it on their servers, and then sending it on to the ultimate recipient. So why should people care about whether or not they have end-to-end encryption? It's about who can read the information. Almost all the connections we make on the web, for example, are over HTTPS. The S stands for secure, the secure form of the HTTP protocol that's encrypted between the client and the server. Let's say I'm shopping on a website. If I was not using an encrypted connection and I was just sending my credit card information in plain text on a non-encrypted connection, then it's possible that as those packets went through the internet from my home computer to the server of that shopping website, someone could actually intercept them and read my credit card information. Obviously, we don't want people to be able to do that. It could be even worse. Maybe they could even manipulate the connection. So by having an encrypted connection, we make sure that only the shopping website server can actually read my credit card information. Now, what if I'm sending a chat message from myself to you, Rebecca, and it's something very personal that I really wouldn't want anyone else to read? If I'm not using an end-to-end encrypted system, then it's possible that at an intermediary waypoint between myself and you, where the information actually might have gotten to that waypoint encrypted, but then got decrypted before it was encrypted again to be sent on, it could have been intercepted. Now, that actually is how a lot of chat messaging services work. 
I send a message to their servers, it might be encrypted from me to their servers, but then on their servers, it gets decrypted. It might even be stored in a database by them. And then it gets encrypted again before it gets sent to you. Now, we were saying before that what's important is who can read it. Well, it turns out they can read it. Whoever owns those servers, whatever cat messaging service I'm using, they're the ones who can read it. They're keeping it perhaps in a database. They have a way of actually seeing it. If the system is end-to-end encrypted, even when it goes through the server, nobody but me and you can actually read it. So it's all about who do we trust? Who are we actually allowing to read the messages or information that we send across the internet? Why do we care that the intermediary can read or has access to the information? The reason we might care is that maybe we're sending information that's sensitive. Maybe that's personal. I think about the Arab Spring back in the early 2010s where dissidents were trying to bring down their governments and the governments were trying to monitor the communications of the dissidents. And so the dissidents were using encrypted systems so they could communicate with each other without the government being able to interfere with their protests, with their rallies, with their emotions against their governments. Now, the difficulty is that maybe we trust the company that's our intermediary, but the government has the power of subpoena. It has, in some countries, the government has more than just the power of subpoena. It has, actually has the power of censorship, like in some of those countries I was just mentioning and in some countries that are still around today. And so if we don't want the government to be able to read the information that we're sending to one another, we need a fully end-to-end encrypted system because the large corporation that might be acting as the intermediary might get subpoenaed by the government for the information or it might have a direct tap into that company's servers. And we know that this has even happened in the United States. We know this from the Edward Snowden revelations from about a decade ago. You can go read about them. I don't want to go into all of them in this episode because it's really beyond the scope of this episode. But we know that that really happened even here in the U.S. And so there are types of communication. Maybe there's some things that are just really personal and we would just feel more secure if we knew that nobody but the two of us could really read about it. But maybe there's also things that we want to do that are political in nature or um, have some kind of controversial aspect to them vis-a-vis the government, or maybe the company itself, and we don't want to have that intermediary possibility of anyone but the two people who are talking about it uh, being able to to actually see what, what the conversation is about. Or And by the way, we're talking mainly about like chatting right now, but this could also be files. This could also be sensitive medical records. This could also be sensitive corporate secrets, intellectual property. There's a lot of different things we might want to transmit and make sure that they're totally secret. At the same time, of course, I'm sure you can imagine things that we don't want to be totally secret that people share all the time on the internet. There is a counter argument. I mean, the argument for it is very strong in my opinion, but there is an argument against it, which is of course that people sometimes trade really bad things on the internet. And we want probably authorities in a perfect world to be able to take down criminals who are trading really bad things or at least tap into their networks and um, and get them. So, you know, there is another side to this argument. I don't want to make it sound super one-sided, but I also want to point out the technology already exists. The technology for end-to-end encryption already exists. It's already existed for decades. And even if it suddenly was outlawed, it would still exist because you can't take it out of the box. Encryption is just a bunch of mathematical formulas combined with some computer software. 
and anyone can go and take open source implementations of encryption software, build them, and start sending encrypted messages to one another. The question is not whether or not we can stop end-to-end encryption from existing. The question is whether or not we should have it in every chat app, every app that we use. And that is where kind of the recent controversy has come from. But we'll get into later in the episode that a lot of the apps you probably use already already have this as an option. So it's the genie's kind of already out of the bottle. But we'll talk further about how it's been portrayed in the news recently. Before we get to the news, let's talk about the apps that are using or providing end-to-end encryption. Can you list a couple? Sure. I'm going to list a bunch. All of them either have end-to-end encryption on by default or they have it as an option. And then I'll talk about a couple of them that are particularly popular, which uh, you have to actually jump through a couple hoops to really be fully end-to-end encrypted. So all of the following apps, and there's many more, of course, these are just some popular ones that I chose to do a little research on, either are end-to-end encrypted or have it as an option. Zoom, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, iMessage, Signal, Telegram, and there's many more. But just there, we just covered a huge spectrum of apps that people use for messaging all the time that have end-to-end encryption or either have it as an option. Now, there's two that are particularly popular that I want to mention some caveats about. The first is iMessage. iMessage is end-to-end encrypted by default. So iMessage, of course, is Apple's messaging service that works only from basically uh, Apple users to Apple users. You see those blue bubbles when an Apple user is talking to another Apple user and those green bubbles when an Apple user is talking to somebody over SMS who is on an Android device or another type of device. It is by default end-to-end encrypted, but here's the big caveat. If you have iCloud Backup turned on, iCloud Backup tends to include your iMessages And it is not fully end-to-end encrypted. Apple has a key to get into your iCloud backups. So the only way to make sure you're truly secure would be if both you and the other person that you're communicating with don't have iCloud backup turned on. Then you would be taking advantage of the end-to-end encryption that they already have, and there'd be nowhere that your messages are being stored on Apple's servers that Apple could get access to them if they received a government subpoena. That's a pretty big caveat. It's a pretty big caveat because most people have iCloud backup turned on. Um, we could go into the, the famous case, the San Bernardino terrorist and Apple stance on encryption against the terrorist's phone and the government, trying, the FBI specifically, trying to force Apple to decrypt their phone. I think that's beyond the scope of our episode, but I'll put a link to an article about it in the show notes. Now, another app I want to talk about is Facebook. Because it's going to be at the center of, I know, some of the news articles that you've looked into, Rebecca. And if you go and use Facebook today, by default, it's not end-to-end encrypted when you send somebody a message. But you can go in the Messenger app on your phone, not on the desktop web app, though. So people should know if you go to Facebook on your desktop web browser, this doesn't even appear to be an option from what I can see. But if you're in the Facebook Messenger app on your phone, you can go into the settings of a particular conversation and put it into what they call like a secret mode. And then it is fully end-to-end encrypted. And they recently announced that they're also bringing this feature to group chats as well. So it's totally opt-in. It's available if you opt-in, but by default, it's not there in Facebook Messenger. 
And uh, if you do turn it on though, Facebook claims it's fully end-to-end -end encrypted. The other thing I wanted to mention about all of these apps is we have to trust that the company is telling the truth about it really being end-to-end -end encrypted. So we have to trust that Apple, when they say iMessage is end-to-end -end encrypted, is telling the truth. We have to trust that Facebook, when they're saying that Messenger, when you go into secret mode, is really end-to-end -end encrypted, is telling the truth. There are some apps that are open source that are end-to-end -end encrypted. Probably the most popular two are Signal and Telegram. Signal in particular is, has become quite popular recently. And Signal, because it's open source, we can go and verify that it really is end-to-end -end encrypted. Now, you might say, well, I trust uh, Facebook. I trust Apple. Well, you know, Skype, which is an app developed by Microsoft now, is originally an independent company. It was owned by, I think, eBay or PayPal at one point. Now it's owned by Microsoft for more than a decade now. They were saying that they were end-to-end -end encrypted, and then one of the Snowden documents revealed that actually there was a backdoor in Skype that enabled the government to get access through Microsoft to messages. So, you know, if software is closed source, no one can go and verify that what they say is really true. But in an app like Signal or Telegram, any software developer can go and dig into the source code and find out if Signal or Telegram are telling the truth when they say it's really end-to-end -end encrypted and that there's no backdoor circumventing that end-to-end -end encryption. In other words, the most secure app you could probably use today would be an open source messaging app that has end-to-end -end encryption, like Signal. Now, this has been a big story recently. Rebecca, I know you've been looking into some of the recent articles about this. A lot of them are coming out of the UK. Yeah, that's right. So in the UK, the government is... I guess, launching or has launched a campaign against end-to-end -end encryption, specifically in Facebook. Um, they really did not want Facebook to make this the default option for the messaging services that it provides. Right. We were just talking about how it is possible to get end-to-end -end encryption in Facebook, but you have to go into a special settings panel and turn it on per conversation in quote-unquote secret mode. So we're talking about going from having to jump through those hoops to get end-to-end -end encryption in Facebook Messenger to it just being the default every conversation you have in Facebook Messenger. That's correct. And the government's main argument is that it's actually about child safety. It's about protecting the most vulnerable of us, I guess, uh, from being victimized um, and having and giving law enforcement the tools to prosecute those who would go after kids. That certainly sounds like a noble cause. Absolutely. And there's some real merit behind the dangers that exist across messaging apps and just the internet in general, specifically for children. And I certainly would want my law enforcement to have the tools to prosecute and go after and keep our kids safe. But like you spoke about, end-to-end -end encryption is out there. And there's always going to be ways for folks to target and do bad things if they want to. And so I'm not sure personally if the good intentions possibly behind this outweigh the logistics or even the potential fallout. Right. You can't outlaw the technology as a whole. It's, it's out there. It's well understood. Any software developer could go and build an end-to-end -end encrypted app today. I could go and take some open source libraries off the shelf and within a matter of weeks have an end-to-end -end encrypted messenger app that I could use with somebody else. 
So if you make it completely illegal, you're kind of just driving people to other apps or driving them underground to places that are even less monitored. I also think that there's two sides to this argument vis-a-vis having government in all of our communications. We know what happened in the United States. We know that the government was keeping a database of Americans' communications with one another. We know that countries outside of the United States, which have more authoritarian regimes in place, use this regularly to quash dissent and stop their people from sharing messages that might be harmful to the government. I'm not saying that the UK or the US has an authoritarian government. Far from it. We live in relatively vibrant democracies. <laughs> At least they do in the UK. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I have big concerns about anytime we try to take a technology and kind of like put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think you can really do that. And I think what you tend to do is drive it underground. That doesn't mean that the people who are for making it easier for law enforcement don't have good intentions. Though I will say that I think the campaign using child safety is certainly one that really, on a marketing level, is about like tugging on the emotions of it and our fears. Absolutely. And I think when people are fearful is when government is most able to grab power. Absolutely. But I think reasonable people can have opposing viewpoints on this issue. Definitely. There's some real nuance there. And and keeping our children safe and how we navigate me- the various types of messaging apps and the internet and all the information coming at us is going to continue to be a really important discussion that we're going to have both in- as individuals within families and as a society. You know, I remember I was at a dinner about seven years ago, I think you were there with me. And I was sitting next to a friend of my aunt's who is involved in the New York state government. And they were dealing with the same kind of debate that they're having in the UK right now. And I think the New York state government was thinking, well, we want to make it so that law enforcement can read any kind of encrypted message. And, And this was shortly after the whole controversy around Apple and the San Bernardino terrorist. And she just couldn't understand the concept that you can't just outlaw technology. But it's totally true. There's never in all of history been a technology that's been created, that's been successfully outlawed, that could be implemented by just a few people. Now, if there's a technology that requires a huge amount of different actors to actually create, for example, a nuclear weapon, it is possible to stop it from being organized and proliferated to some extent. But when there's a technology that any software developer can go and build a version of, you can't basically outlaw a math equation, I guess is a way of putting it. And that's really what encryption comes down to. So uh, I'll just say my personal opinion is I think it's a bad idea to try to legislate in this area. And I'm more fearful of the government than I am of almost anybody else when we think about the terrible ways that governments have oppressed their citizens around the world. I'm particularly sensitive to it because I think back to my family who escaped from the Soviet Union and also escaped from uh, Nazi Germany. And um, I just think about... uh, how oppressive those regimes were and how they used the control of information to really put down any kind of dissent. And so I think it's more, I think we have to weigh like what's more important to us in the world. Do we care more about people's ability to have their dissent protected or do we care more about law enforcement's powers? 
And while I support law enforcement going after criminals 100%, especially when it comes to children, I don't want to do that at the expense of the ability for people to dissent. So I would just say personally, and like I said, I think reasonable people can disagree on this. I'm definitely in favor of not stopping people from having end-to-end encryption. I would agree with you, Dave. I I think what's also important is that we have technological literacy. So we need to be able to understand if we're supporting a government saying no to -to end-to-end encryption or we're using it. Just that basic understanding helps us all make informed decisions and understand the risks and possible benefits that any of us are going to encounter as we send each other messages. Absolutely. And that's really what our podcast is about. Our podcast is about bringing technological literacy, especially around the area of software, to the people who listen. So I hope that you have a better understanding now about what end-to-end encryption is all about. It's about who can read your messages. Is it just you and the person who's ultimately going to receive them? Or is the intermediary, for example, the servers at Facebook, going to be a place that your messages can be read? Thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.